Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and thank you so much for taking some time out to listen today. If you're new here, just to tell you a little bit about myself and this podcast, um, I do have a rare and invisible illness that does affect my everyday life, um, my mobility, and some other issues um, and challenges that I face every day, just as I know that millions and millions of other people do face challenges that are similar as well. Now, during this past year and a half, approximately, um, I started to experience some negativity early on, and I decided to try to be a little more positive and use the energy that I had, the negative energy that I was getting to try to bring something positive around um, and let other people who have chronic, rare, and invisible illnesses that you're not alone, that there are other people out there who understand And even though everybody's individual circumstances might be different from each other's, there's still so many similarities and so much support that we can lend to each other. Now, today, I will be starting a series that some time ago when I started the series on asthma, I read one figure that just floored me. And... What that number was is that African-American women are five times more likely to die of asthma than their white counterparts, five times. And it was a matter of trying to look at the numbers and just in my head thinking that five times are more likely. Now, just looking at percentages, this does not necessarily mean that five times the number of African-American women die um, from asthma, but just percentage-wise, it is an extremely high number as far as the difference. So for every one Caucasian um, that would pass away from asthma or asthma-related illnesses or complications, there are five African-American women. And these disparities don't stop right there. They extend to so many different parts of the healthcare system. And it's something that first needs to be recognized, that it's not just something people say, um, because you'll hear things about disparities. And there's always going to be an argument where people don't agree with certain things. But these are hard and fast numbers. These are factual. These are numbers that have been gathered and data that reflects that there are huge differences in accessibility and you know, also you know, being able to get the health care that people need. And it's the understanding of everyone around each other that other people need support. Now, it might be that this sounds almost innate or instinctual that, of course, you want to help other people, that doctors and nurses want to be there to help. And that's true. I believe the vast majority of those in the health profession do want to help people, but there are certain truths that need to be addressed first. And in this next series, which I'm sure will extend over a number of different episodes and probably just keep continuing as, you know, We learn to recognize more and more differences and what we need to address. So 
This episode will just serve as an introduction on some of the things we'll be looking at. Um, by no means does it is this episode going to cover everything that we'll be looking at, but it will give kind of an overview of what we need to know. Now, before I get started, um, I do just always want to give a disclaimer that I am in no way a medical, legal, or insurance expert. If you do have any questions in any of those fields, please make sure that you're reaching out to someone in those areas. Please do not take this podcast as medical advice as it is not meant to be used in that way. It's just me providing information, feedback, sharing my experiences, and giving opinions on some articles that I've read. In this case, it's probably going to be more in-depth than I've been in some other um, other articles because a lot of the other information I'd either heard before or it added information to what I already knew. And while I'd heard the term you know, healthcare disparities um, and you know the term disparity being used in other aspects of everyday life, until I think you see a number, it might be there in your head that you understand that it exists, but you don't actually really comprehend it fully until you either see or hear a number that just kind of brings you to reality. So you know, looking at the healthcare system, and just as an introduction to, I am in the United States, so you know, this information regarding insurance and numbers are based um, by figures that are in the United States. And you know, right now, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions about healthcare, accessibilities, and disparities. And with these misconceptions, they're fed by our personal histories, individual circumstances, and unfortunately, a number of old misconceptions or prejudices that carried over from generations of bias, whether intended or unintended. Now, when I was growing up, it seemed like there were only two categories for healthcare accessibility at least based on my experiences. You know, again, there is an understanding that everybody's experiences are different, so it may not have been the same to someone who lives in a different part of my state or even a different part of the country. But when I was growing up, it just seemed that you were either someone who had insurance or you did not have insurance. Now today, we of course still have these two categories, unfortunately, but there are so many just small nuances and situations between you know, one family to the next, one person to the next. It's really led to healthcare inequality in what is supposed to be the greatest nation on earth. But it seems to be that ever more so, we are consistently failing to live up to this title and not just in healthcare. But it does make me wonder if we ever really were the greatest nation or if it was just a title that we felt that we could hold. Now, you know, I'm not out here to say anything bad about being a patriot. I am very much a patriot as far as loving the country that I live in as we do have a lot more freedoms than other countries in the world. But by being in the situation or position that we're in, by being one of the world leaders, 
we should be able to take a look, put a mirror up to ourselves and say, okay, this is where we need to improve. And until we do that, there are going to be millions and millions of people who lack the essentials of health care. So to some other countries, we may seem to be the best country on earth or the best nation. You know, like I said, there are other countries that don't have as many freedoms as we do. So comparatively, we may be the better nation to live in. But there are still so many things that we can improve on and things that we can recognize that we have to improve on. So there are you know, just so many factors that prevent us from hitting the mark of being the greatest nation on earth. And until all of us recognize the shortcomings of all of these different aspects of community, we will not hold the keys to fixing them. Now, healthcare is one of the biggest aspects that when I take a step back and look, I see tweets or Facebook posts from other parts of the world where there's just this air of the American healthcare system just being unbelievable, that they cannot imagine that people have to file bankruptcy because they don't have access to healthcare or they've gone into debt because of healthcare costs, how much things cost and you know, the comparison is usually just met by this shock that people may have heard in other countries that our healthcare system is not the best, but once they see it, it really becomes real to them that there is a lot of improvement that we need to do. So healthcare is the very root of the literal and figurative health of a community. Now the literal meaning is pretty clear. The figurative health includes making sure that emotional, financial, education, or educational and spiritual needs of a community are met. Now, without health, each one of these categories will suffer or even disappear from a, from a neighborhood, from a community. Health drives people to get up, to go to work, to engage with others and be productive at our job requires a physical capability depending on the duties that our job entails. But everything works together. If our physical well-being is ignored, we cannot go to or concentrate on our work, which decreases our educational and or financial well-being. And to be clear, mental health is also a part of our physical health. It is an illness. And while some people may see this as a taboo subject, it should be no more taboo than discussing any other illness. Now, many people still hold beliefs about health care and coverage that should be considered antiquated. This leads to less accessibility and decreases the resources that are there, and in many cases, not there for those who need them the most. Now, I do just want to address something from the beginning. There are those who do not believe that they should fund other people's health care. Some people will say that they believe everyone should fund each other's health care, so the very opposite end of the spectrum. To some people, health care is a political topic. To me, it's not political. It's about concern for your fellow person. It's about understanding that while you may be in a great position financially or health-wise and have access to great insurance, 
that can all change in a heartbeat. It's recognizing that the health of a community depends on the health of everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard these arguments time and time again um, in other aspects of life where the government may have some control. The most obvious one to me that I've heard the most of was, why am I funding school when I don't have a child in the school district? So I've heard that so many times. And you know, they, there are a lot of people who don't feel that any of their taxes should go to a school district. Um, now, because students who are in that school district will one day be our doctors, our social workers, and in every other position and career that you can think of, we all benefit from having a well-equipped, well-funded school. But that can be another argument for another day, as I'm sure it will be. Um, but I'm just using this as an example to show that arguments are made every day by people who don't feel that their taxes should go to fund other projects if they are not necessarily in that group. But something to remember, too, is by being proactive and having access to first preventative health care, it will then decrease the need for more emergent medical situations as well as make that person more able to contribute to society as a whole by being able to keep their career going, to raise their families, and not have to constantly worry about what help or what help they may have or not have if there is a health scare, if they'll be able to cover those expenses. expenses. So, disparities. Over these next few weeks, we'll be reviewing the different types of disparities, um, and where they're most seen in healthcare, such as mortality rates, insured rates, and even look at how these may impact education, just as I mentioned a few moments ago. If a child or a parent is ill, then that child may not be able to make it to school or concentrate on their schoolwork, and their education will suffer. Now, again, this just shows the correlation of how everything within a society works together, and at the core is our health. The core of a society is health. So very briefly, you know, I'll go over what some of the key terms are that we may be seeing, um, such as baseline figures, how they may be calculated in the past, and what's the history of trying to get the numbers for baseline figures, how these impact the treatment of other races, ethnicities, and even the treatment between males and females as well as understanding what accessibility may or may not mean to some. So to understand this better, let's take a look at baselines. What are they? Just to state it very simply, these are numbers that are reviewed to see if an individual's test shows that they fall within an average. For example, the question of what is a normal cholesterol level or what is a normal blood pressure level has baselines. Things usually fall within two certain numbers, and if you fall within those two figures, you're considered healthy in that area. But if you fall outside those figures, then the doctors may need to treat you depending on, you know, how big the difference is and, you know, what the actual illness is. Now, these baselines were developed as a result of observation and testing so that everybody else's numbers can be judged against these. But when a trial or observation is made, 
on one set of criteria, such as being a white male, then all other factors are pushed aside. And no, I'm not trying to bash any white males who were not around when these baselines were developed, but it is a truth that we have to recognize that things such as symptoms for a heart attack are different between men and women. What might be a normal hormone level for one ethnicity might be different for another. It may be different between races. And this was seen in one of the uh, most recent Olympic Games. And so that's something I will cover in the episodes as we move forward. And we can see why understanding these differences is so important. There should be a recognition, too, that in today's society, more so than ever before, many people are multiracial. So healthcare professionals have a duty to understand what the background of an individual is, as all of these things can impact diagnosis and an understanding of the illness. Assumptions should not be made based on appearance, by someone's name, or any other external feature. Now, many of us will use a saying that, we are all the same inside. And for the most part, that is correct. Part of my podcast is trying to show the similarities that even though we all have different illnesses, that there is a lot that we have in common. So between genders, between races, yes, for the vast part of our, of our health system, they're the same. But there are small details that can make a huge difference difference in the treatment of a person, um, determine if a person is more susceptible to certain illnesses, and in many ways predetermines our future health. Doctors need to make sure to understand a patient's complete history. Now, I do know it would be impossible for all doctors to have all information at all times. Now, if there is an illness that they've never treated because it's very rare, they'll probably run a whole slew of tests initially to try to rule out the usual suspects. Now, this is why it's important to have consistent healthcare providers too. While immediate care clinics and emergency rooms or departments are fantastic if you need care for an unexpected illness or medical event or an injury, but it should not be the main resource for people. However, readily available maintenance and preventative care needs to be accessible to all but many people don't have this luxury, and it should not be a luxury. This should be something that everybody has. Now, think of the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. In other words, it costs less to prevent the onset of an illness and treat it earlier rather than later. If someone has diabetes, for example, it should be less expensive to treat the patient with education and maintenance and the medication that's used to treat diabetes be used properly and consistently, this will then reduce or eliminate the need for hospitalization, more intensive treatment, and with a particular instance of, let's just say diabetes, the possibility of losing a limb because of complications from diabetes. So this is just one example. But for those looking at healthcare as a financial endeavor, such as insurers or drug manufacturers, you know, they should really realize that treatment is best, not only financially, but emotionally and mentally. But sometimes those numbers 
or dollar signs are placed before what might be best for an individual, a family, or a community. Now, the actual term disparity, um, and I'm going to read directly from one of the articles that are reviewed on this, says the, the term disparity is often interpreted to mean racial or ethnic disparities. Many di dimensions of disparity exist in the United States, particularly in health. If a health outcome is seen to be a greater or lesser extent between populations, there is a disparity. Race or ethnicity, sex, sexual identity, age, disability, socioeconomic status, and geographic location all contribute to an individual's ability to achieve good health. Now, this is where really accessibility comes in. And in some previous episodes, I've mentioned it's not just the ability to pay for a medical treatment or a doctor's visit, it's the ability to get there. So if you live in a rural area, you may have to drive hours and hours to see a specialist and then possibly have to rent a hotel. Um, conversely, you might even live in a very um, you know, heavily populated area where there are some larger hospitals, but if you don't have the means of having insurance or have a high deductible, that could be out of your reach as well. So it's recognizing that there are so many different um, factors that play into disparities, and we have to try to figure out a way to make sure that everybody has an equitable access. It's not necessarily about equality. That may sound strange, but if we say everything is to be equal in those cases, of healthcare, that would mean everybody has exactly the same thing, whether it's a copay, coinsurance, um, means of getting to an appointment. So what that would mean is someone who lives in a rural area would be expected to treat a doctor's appointment the same as someone who lives three blocks from that doctor as compared to 200 miles. And that's not feasible. Equitable would mean taking away those barriers and making sure that those who may need a little more assistance in some areas get that help so that they will be able to get a true equal health care um, consultation at that point once those barriers are moved. So that's what equitable is, a case of just treating everything the same across the board, saying it's equal is not a good fit for healthcare. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all type of endeavor. So to be truly equitable, it has to be you know, adjusted for the needs of the individual um, as a person or their family based on a number of different factors. Now, we'll get into further figures later on, but I'm going to start with some numbers just for everybody to keep in mind. And this is about disparities or differences in the death rate amongst infants, so the infant mortality rate. Giving the opportunity to live and thrive is the most basic need. It is the initial need of every person. So looking at the infant mortality rate gives an idea of disparities that can actually continue 
throughout life. So this information is taking, taken from the year 2020. And for every 100,000 births in the African-American community, there were 11 infant deaths. Comparing that to the Hispanic rate, and also within the Hispanic rate, there is a difference between different ethnicities. But there were 5.1 infant deaths per 100,000 live births among Hispanic and Latin Americans. Now, within those figures, the rate was 40% higher for those with a Puerto Rican heritage. Looking at the mortality rates for Asian Americans, they do have a lower infant mortality rate of 3.8 infant deaths per 1,000 live births. For those who are Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, the infant mortality rate is 7.6 per 1,000. For Alaskan and Native Americans, the mortality rate is 9.2 per every 1,000 live births. So we can see that there are huge differences between those numbers, looking at one as low as um, being 3.8 all the way up to 11. Now, as far as what the average was and also what the um, Caucasian mortality rate was, the average everywhere is 5.7, with Caucasians being having a 4.6 um, mortality rate per 1,000 live births. So that is the next to lowest mortality rate. So the healthcare community has these numbers. Why is it that there is such a huge difference between different races as far as infant mortality? You know, again, this is the very, very start of life and to have such a big difference in one group to the next, there needs to be research, understanding, and trying to figure out how Everybody can be served in a way so that their health care needs are met, that they trust their doctor, that they really get to know the doctor who will be treating them, and they have access to everything that they need nutritionally, health care-wise, as far as being able to attend doctor's appointments. You know, All of these factors play in, but there could be dozens of more smaller factors that change from individual to individual. So there needs to be an understanding of what that individual needs. So these were numbers that I wanted to share to show why there is a need to address the disparities. And looking at something that starts from the very, very beginning of life, it just, it starts there already with differences and those differences may continue within that community. And since we have recognition now, it needs to be addressed yet year after year, even if it's just an article that I hear you know, playing on the TV or something I read in a magazine, it doesn't seem like any of these numbers are changing as much as they should. Now, some of the topics that 
will continue to review with this um, and some factors that that do go into you know everybody's access to healthcare is you know making sure that we have access to education yes education is a key component because you know, it will help people be better able to communicate, um, you know, to be able to formulate questions that they may have about their health care, um, make sure that housing is safe. I mean, how many years ago was it that lead paint was a major concern for new parents? And even now on a lot of questionnaires when you're filling them out as a new mother, they'll ask, if there's any, you know, homes built before the certain date or any access to lead paint, that can impact a child's health. Um, making sure, and this is a big one for me, is the transportation. You know, so what I was mentioning earlier, you know, someone might live very far away and they can't get there. Also within that too is even if a hospital or doctor is relatively close to you, if say you're making that trip with an elderly relative, you're taking them to the doctor, being able to walk that distance or find good parking so that the individual you're with doesn't have to walk that far, to some that may not be a big deal. To those who have been in that situation where I have been, where I'm trying to assist somebody from one place to the next and it becomes very very hard to do so within you know the transportation there has to be an ability to accommodate the individual as my needs are different from the person next to me needs and so forth and so on um, make sure that our healthcare providers are culturally culturally sensitive that health insurance is accessible to everyone at an affordable rate and trying to eliminate other pollutants in the air, uh, make sure everybody has clean um, drinking water. And nutritious food is really something that I can become very passionate about because I've seen in so many different articles or have seen comments where some people will make a statement such as, it's not that much more expensive to eat more healthy. Well, um, maybe we're looking at things differently, but if I feed my family pasta and pasta sauce from, not to say a name, I'll just say a very large national chain of stores, and then even add some meatballs in there, you know, buying them at those prices, I could make a, fee a meal for everybody for around $4. If I wanted to add a little bit of bread, it would be more filling and maybe add you know, 50 cents onto the cost of the meal. But that's a lot of starch that converts into sugars and fat. So that's not good for everybody. But to try to make those dishes more healthy, such as using noodles that are made from vegetables instead of pasta, that cost jump is enormous. I've bought spaghetti squash before. It's weighed by the pound and it is very heavy and very dense and could cost five, six dollars or more. I haven't bought one in a while, but it may even be higher now. 
to take, say, zucchini or squash or carrots and try to spiralize those to make a you know, more healthy alternative to pasta, those zucchini cost more than those pasta noodles were. To get an adequate amount, that will make somebody fuller. You can buy these veggie noodles pre-made, but or pre-spiralized, I should say, but those cost a lot more than doing it yourself. You can also, say, choose cauliflower options, such as cauliflower rice, but a bag of rice cost as compared to um, cauliflower is still the rice is less expensive. And this just goes on and on with so many different examples. And depending on where you live, you may not even have access to truly fresh vegetables or dairy. You know, I live in an area that is considered, looking at the national average, it is a densely populated area. However, there's still room in my backyard that we did plant a small garden this year. It was our first year, things did not go great, but that was an attempt to try to save some money in order to still eat a little more healthy than you know, the cost that it would be to actually buy the produce. Now, you know, if you live in an area where there is no access directly to grow your own vegetables or fruits, what are you supposed to do? You have to buy them from the supermarket, and if they have to be brought in, if they're shipped in, that costs more. If you're buying them from, say, a smaller market or a corner market, the cost to that market is usually higher than the bigger stores. So, you know, something as simple as pasta, the difference between two dishes, can make a difference throughout the cost of groceries for a week or for a month where having those healthy options just is really not accessible to some people. And admittedly, there are lots of times where I feel that way, where I'll need to go through the grocery list again and say, okay, should I get some fresh spinach or will it be more cost effective to buy this rice or these noodles or potatoes? To try to make sure that you know, everything is balanced, try not to get too many starches in there, but there's only so much that can be done when you're not on the same footing. Now, kind of along those same lines, you know, I hear people sometimes saying, oh, well, organic, you know, that's fancy. 150 years ago, everything was organic. You know, there, there were not really any genetically modified um, you know, plants that were mass-produced. There may have been some plants that were hybrid as well as livestock to try to bring out the most positive characteristics, but nothing like what we have now where, you know, things are genetically modified to try to grow faster, make more product, or grow more product, I should say, and that's not necessarily healthy, the healthiest way to go on that. Now, there is a website called Healthy People. And there were goals that they had set for each decade um, over the past couple of decades. And unfortunately, some of those did fall short. So um, in 2000, they wanted to reduce the health disparities among Americans. In 2010, their goals were to eliminate the health disparities. And now that we're at the 2020 goal, even though I'm sure this last year was much more hectic and um, 
you know, difficult as far as getting these numbers than before because of COVID. But the goal was to achieve health equity. And that's what I was talking about earlier. And that way it can improve just the overall community's health. Now, right now, this is where I really want to end, um, you know, with some of the goals that are set forth by, you know, some other research centers or, you know, healthcare professionals and what they're really looking at. Now, just as we are looking at these numbers, one thing that I do just want to mention that at least I'm seeing more recent numbers um, through the articles that I've read specifically about these disparities. But in some or in certain illnesses, if I've tried to find an accurate number, sometimes the numbers are from four or five years ago. And in one case, I found numbers from 2003 or 2004. Those numbers are not real time and they don't reflect any changes good or bad that may have been made you know, throughout the country, throughout the healthcare system, or even just healthcare systems in certain parts of the country. So what's changed? What do we need to do to try to get those disparities eliminated? You know, there needs to be research. And when you have numbers that are years or even more than a decade off, that does nothing to really help us research and understand what's leading to those numbers. So with COVID, we did have a lot of um, numbers um, very, very quickly. Things were tracked very, very quickly. So hopefully with whatever systems they begin to use, whatever reporting um, systems or you know, requirements that they use helped get more real-time numbers. And I feel that those should be expanded to all different illnesses. Yes, COVID was the urgent pressing issue over the past year and a half, but with whatever is causing disparities, to have those numbers again, you know, a decade or more off does no good. So one of the first steps that I do think would be very beneficial is trying to set systems in place so that, you know, you, so that we can have the information more firsthand. You know, we try to get information from someone, talk to different people in a community, and we're talking about something a decade ago. They may not even even lived in the area. They may not remember what was occurring a decade ago. You know, they might, I mean, I know myself, I wouldn't be able to tell you how many times I went to a doctor 10 or 12 years ago. You know, it's not something that can be thoroughly investigated unless we get those numbers in real time. So I just wanted to end with that because that is something too that I've noticed in a lot of places um, where the numbers aren't really, to me, as current as they should be. But along the lines of COVID, um, I did speak with someone from the Allergy and Asthma Foundation of America and you know, we had about an hour long. I would have loved to have been able to spend, I don't know, a couple days just discussing different things. But he did say that as far as COVID and getting the numbers not only more quickly, but from a more socially diverse population, he said that was the best that he's ever seen it. 
so that did help. But as we can see with many of the numbers, it did not eliminate the disparities. But whatever was done during that time, it did allow the numbers to show more immediately so that there could be things that were addressed earlier on rather than later. So that's just kind of something important to take away. Um, and you know, when you're reviewing an article or looking at something, just trying to see how current it is. Because with an ever-changing healthcare world, if something was four or five years ago, it's almost obsolete at this point. So with that, I will end, it, end the episode for today. Um, I mentioned in the previous episode that I was going to be changing to um, every other week um, because you know, there are times where I'm having some issues with my illness flaring up. And also there was, there was a death in my family last week. I had planned on trying to put um, an episode out last week but his passing was expected and un unexpected. We knew it was going to happen, but it just seemed to come very, very fast. And it was someone I was very close to, so and my, ch my children were very close to as well. So um, I apologize that I wasn't able to get one out last week, but I hope that everybody will tune in for you know, information about these disparities because it is so, so important that we recognize them. I will have the links to the articles that I've referenced in this episode um, in the description. Now, um, there will be even more articles that I reference going forward as we're looking at specific things um, regarding disparities, but you know, there were only a few core articles that I used for this one, but I'll have them linked. Um, so I will look forward to talking to all of you again soon. Thank you for sticking in um, for this episode, and have a great week.